back again to the Bad Quaker Podcast, where liberty is our mission. Today is Monday, May 6th, 2013. This is podcast number 310, and my name is Ben Stone. Um, Quick teaser, I'm going to talk about Adam Kokesh, and among other people, that's not the only thing I'm going to talk about today, but uh, I I think it's necessary to cover some current events so I uh, have to do that. Before I do, I have a couple of announcements. Of course, Porkfest 10, June 17th through 23rd, Rogers Campground, Lancaster, New Hampshire, the Liberty event of the year, hands down. Uh, we also have the first annual Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest hosted by the Michigan Peace and Liberty Coalition. That will be in August, August 17th, 18th, and 19th. It will be a family-friendly camping weekend, uh, very informal and just a lot of fun, and you need to check that out. Um, Also, I wanted to make a correction. Actually, I have a couple corrections today, but one is on um, the the Bad Quaker Top 50 list. I was going to try to that's uh, not only is it on on BitTorrent now, and thanks to the guys who made that happen, uh, including Michael Dean, but um, uh, in addition to that, I had made a list of the Top 50 uh, of the of the fifty uh, podcasts that were included in that, and and they're on the forum on the Bad Quaker forum, and I was going to move that to a public page, and then it dawned on me that uh, one of the security questions for um, for creating an identity on the forum is uh, to name the podcaster, and so if I if I put those on a public page, then any spammer who's attempting to set up a spam account can just read that page and and get the information and uh, and create a false identity. So um, so I'm going to leave those. If you want the uh, if you want access to those, um, just create an identity for the forum. It doesn't cost anything. It's real quick and easy, and uh, you can find them in there uh, real easily. Now. Um, so my correction is I was going to put those out in public, and then I changed my mind. So, sorry, I changed my mind. Um, I want to thank the donors again that are supporting BadQuaker.com and the folks that are making it possible for us to go to Porkfest this year and that are uh, donating and making it possible for us to go to the, um, uh, to the event in uh, Michigan, the uh, Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest. We really do appreciate those donations. We do have, I have a big announcement, we do have a new sponsor, and if you go to badquaker.com, you'll see the uh, the new banner ad there, and there's one over at the forum as well. And I'll give you a real quick background on this. It's not like a, I mean, I guess this is a commercial, but really I just wanted to explain this. We haven't actually started, uh, we're going to eventually have a commercial that we're going to play for them, but um, prior to that, let me give you some of the background. You know, I've I've been buying uh, precious metals now, f- going back to like 2006 or something like that when I started seeing that uh, things were turning weird and, and there need to be some kind of preparation for the future. So, um, you know, I've I buy I've bought a lot of stuff locally. I've gone to different coin dealers and I've tried to establish relationships with local coin dealers. And there's pros and there's cons to that. Uh, unfortunately, one of the local coin dealers that I had regularly done business with went out, went out of business. They they uh, they made some bad business choices for location and so forth, and it was way too expensive for them. But anyway, um, so I've uh, I've purchased uh, precious metals from three different locations on the internet and had pretty good success with all three of them. And recently on Facebook, someone asked me, "Hey, uh, you know, do you have any links to anybody online?" that uh, that sells precious metals. I'm like, sure, yeah, I got my regular people I buy from. And I gave them a couple of the lists of, of the links. 
And uh, the person came back and said, oh, you might want to go over there and check that out. I, they're not really of any use to me. So I went over and looked. And one of the sites that I've been regularly using and, and you know, suggesting to people uh, privately, I haven't, I haven't done it on the podcast, but um, one of the sites, they have just pulled off all their products. Uh, I'm assuming it's because of this price slump that we're in right now. But they just pulled off all their silver, all their gold, all their platinum, everything. They have no pro. The whole website is there. Everything else is functional. They just don't show any products uh, available to purchase. So I went over to the other that I that I've done business with for years, and uh, and they have it. They're looking at three, four, sometimes five weeks delay in shipping. What? And uh, they're ta- and they basically doubled. Their markup. So uh, I think it used to be something like three dollars over spot, and now no, I think it used to be four dollars over spot, and now it's like eight dollars over spot. Eight dollars over spot. Uh, so yeah, so I don't want to wait four or five weeks and pay eight dollars over spot. So I started looking around. Oh, and the other, let's see, the other one. Uh, I can't remember the deal on the third one, but it was a similar situation where where uh, there were limitations uh, and and the and the spot and the price over spot went up and anyway, so I started looking around. I, I, so my three regulars that I've dealt with dealt with, I can't deal with them anymore. So I started looking around, and uh, I thought I had one supplier, and I was and I contacted them and talked to them about maybe being a sponsor for the for the Bad Quaker Show. And there was some positive interaction, and I thought I was going to get some. You know, they they also deal with Bitcoin, so I thought, well, this is good. This is, you know, I, I want to deal with a precious metal dealer that deals in bitcoins. So I thought we were on the process. I thought we were on the path of working something out with them, and then uh, the whole thing just kind of fell apart. So I had to go back to looking for, and this is not just for a sponsor for the show, but for me personally, I need. You know, the price right now is in a sump. This is the time to buy. So I'm looking for somebody who's selling precious metals. So I'm looking around on the Internet, and I find uh, this company, and I, and I see that a lot of other liberty-oriented people are using them. So that, you know, that's good. They come highly recommended. And the name of the company is, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce it here, uh, I believe it's Ama, Amagai or Amagai, Amagai. Anyway, um, it, they get the word Amagai metals or Amagai metals. They get the word from an ancient uh, a Sumerian word that was found. Um, it's one of the oldest references to liberty. It, it literally, the word literally means to return to the mother, and it has. It's a reference to how a slave, the government would uh, come into a household and just take one of the children, usually a son, but not always. It's well, we won't get into that. Anyway, they would take one of the children out of a household and um, bring them into captivity, and they would be a slave for the government for a certain amount of time. And then after they had uh, worked or served the, the individuals in the government for a set amount of time, then they would be set free, which uh, literally meant returned to their mother. Um, they would take these uh, slaves from the general population when they were relatively young. So they literally took them from the mother as a child. And so when they set them free, the act was to return them to the mother. So that's where this word uh, amagai, or however you pronounce it, that's where it comes from. I've been, you know, I've read it for years, but I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone actually say it out loud. Anyway, um, so that's the name of this metal company of this uh, precious metals supplier, and I thought, well, I like that. I like that's a good that's a good liberty uh, theme and a good liberty story. So I, um, you know, I gave them a shot. I went over their website and I found the website really easy to use. And the purchase process was was nice and easy, and the whole thing was fast. And they were, um, and, and I emailed uh, to to speak with them about it, and they were very cooperative and everything. So, um, so we do have a banner on the Bad Quaker website, and there's a banner on the forum. And uh, if you're interested in precious metals, get over to badquaker.com, hit that banner, and uh, if you buy precious metals from them. Then we'll get a tiny. Now we don't get a big cut because hey, they're they're re, very reasonably priced. They're the best uh, priced 
um, uh, precious metals that I could find on the internet. I'm sure somebody is close to them. Several others that I found were very close to them. But um, but for a company that's liberty oriented, comes highly recommended by other folks in the liberty movement. Uh, you know, I was very comfortable in doing business with them. So, uh, so if you hit that link, um, then badquaker.com will get a tiny little bit of the sale if you buy anything from them. So be sure and check them out. Even if you're not, uh, even if you're not in the market right now, they have some really interesting products. They have uh, bulk silver in like uh, almost like BBs. That's really cool to look at. Anyway, okay. So uh, that was a really long commercial. But in a sense, that's our introduction to this new uh, to this new um, uh, sponsor. Now, another thing I wanted to, I'm going to bore you here with commercials. I apologize for that, but I need to get through this stuff. Keep in mind, I'm going to talk about Adam Kokesh in a minute. So, um, I want to talk about Bitcoin's not bombs because Bitcoin's not bombs is a startup company that our friend uh, David Barker is running over there. And if you want a really cool T-shirt, I'm going to put a link in today's show notes for uh, Bitcoin's Not Bombs, and it goes to their to their store. And if you're going to be going to Porkfest or if you're going to be going to any of the major events that are coming up here in the near future, uh, get over there to Bit- to Bitcoin Not Bombs uh, store and buy a T-shirt from them, and it'll help it'll help them get their business up and started. And uh, um, and and plus you'll get. A really, really, I mean, look at this T-shirt for yourself. It's a really cool T-shirt. It's got a front and a back design. Really cool. And if you show up, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. If you buy a shirt from Bitcoins Not Bombs, and if you're going to Porkfest, and if you come out to uh, to where our motorhome, where the Bad Quaker motorhome is going to be parked, uh, come on out there and... Um, you know, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll buy your lunch. Uh, whether we're having lunch there at the at the motorhome, or maybe we'll take you down and have a taco down at one of the stands or whatever. But if you show up with a Bitcoin's Not Bombs T-shirt at the Bad Quaker Motorhome uh, and let me know that you know about this deal, I'll buy you lunch. Okay, so there's a deal. Um, now I have a corre- another correction from last week. And and I have to make an excuse here. This is just a sad, pathetic excuse. I've been running around the house trying to get things done here. I've got so much work to do and so little time to do it. Uh, We really want to get this house in a condition uh, to where we can either sell it or rent it or something. Because it's it's really our desire to get out of Ohio, whether that's going to New Hampshire or whether that's going to our property in Arkansas or whether that's going to South Alabama where I've just fallen in love with it. But one way or the other, we want to get out of Ohio. And to do that, we have to do something with this with this house that we live in. And uh, so there's a lot of work that I've been trying to get caught up on, and my mind is very full in trying to get this house uh, in a condition that we can either sell it or rent it. And I'm, I'm slipping up on things. I'm making mistakes that I shouldn't be making. I'm making mistakes that... Uh, that that really bother me, um, and, and I really shouldn't be doing that. And so you're probably going to see me backing off and not doing quite as many podcasts as I was doing. Uh, but I think it would be better to do less podcasts and be accurate than more podcasts with mistakes that I have to come back and correct. And the mistakes specifically that I'm talking about, I was, you know, I was talking about the time frame in Europe between 500 AD and 1500 AD that's generally referred to as the Dark Ages. And, um, and there's a lot of lies and misconceptions about that time frame. And I had made the, 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 the statement that other than like right around the Ottoman Empire area, right around um, Constantinople and, uh, you know, in parts of Greece and stuff, that uh, that pretty much the state vanished. That there was there was small despotic um, you know kingdoms or or uh, little chieftains here and there that were not pleasant people, and and they certainly weren't very pleasant to their uh, you know to the to the people that had to tolerate them. But mostly from the rest of Europe, there was no state to speak of uh, for a long period of time in there. And uh, you know, I made a classic mistake when. Americans do this regularly. When they think of things on a global basis, they really only think of the U.S. and they don't think of you know the whole rest of the world. And I and I kind of did that when I was thinking of Europe in the sense that I had a picture in my mind of a large swath of France and Germany 
and parts of uh, um, Central East Europe and uh, and Ireland and England and uh, and Scotland and parts of and like the Pyrenees and uh, parts of Spain. And when I was saying that Europe between 500 and 1500 AD was pretty much stateless, um, that's the areas that I was thinking of. And I really didn't allow my mind to, to realize, you know, there was, there was some pretty nasty, uh, really um, nasty governments that existed in Europe that were pretty strong. And some were even gaining strength right during that time frame. And specifically in Scandinavia and around, the, uh, around that part of northern Europe, you know, as Christianity flooded in, uh, the old the old tribal um, uh, processes were crushed, and really nasty tyrants came in, and some of them were fairly po- powerful. England, you know, oscillated pretty bad till about 1100 A.D. It was relatively stateless. Um, you know, there were there were again small kings, but the king didn't have a lot of power over individuals' lives. The king was just basically uh, a glorified uh, lo- landowner, and in the in the feudal system, so he didn't have a whole lot of actual power. And I talked a little bit about how property ownership was a little different during that time. I didn't really go into it. I'll have to do that sometime. But um, by about twelve or thirteen hundred, England. Uh, was shifting pretty quickly towards tyranny. And even, you know, the attempts at having a parliament and, and writing the Magna Carta and so forth, those were all temporary band-aids that, that, that were resistance against the growth of the state, but they really didn't address the real problem of the growing state in England. And of course, by, uh, you know, by the by 1500 or so in England, uh, despotic government had pretty much taken over and then... Um, you know the 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 tutors and so forth without really going into a whole thing there. So I uh, so I misspoke specifically with Scandinavia and parts of Spain and Portugal um, in reference to yeah you know uh, tyranny was growing that into almost that entire time. Scandinavia was relatively tyranny free until close to five hundred about eight yeah, around eight something when. Uh, I can't remember when that Nordic uh, king popped his dirty, ugly head up. Anyway, um, but uh, but either way, uh, I, I had skipped Scandinavia. I, I just forgot Scandinavia when I was talking about it. And it, and one of the uh, people on the forum pointed that out to me, and I really appreciate that too. Uh, and let me just say that uh, that I do make mistakes. And so if you catch me on something like that, be sure and drop me a note. And, uh, and if I can, uh, I'm pretty bad at not getting through my emails very quick, but, uh, I, I, but I try. Okay. So now I've done my commercials and I've done my uh, correction for my mistakes. And, um, I did want to update one other thing. This is just, uh, sort of to give an endorsement for some, some reading that I'm doing. I just finished reading uh, People Without Government and Anthropo- Anthropolo- Anthropology of Anarchy by Harold Barclay. Uh, Harold Barclay is a professor of anthropology at the University of Alberta in Canada. Uh, really smart guy. And this is a really good book. Um, this is about different tribal uh, people throughout history and specifically within the 20th century that uh, lived in anarchical conditions and and this is coming from a, an anthropologist, so he kind of knows what he's talking about on this stuff. And he does a really good job on it. Um, his work goes hand in hand. You know, I, I talk pretty regular about James C. Scott. He's the professor of political science and anthropology at um, at Yale University. And Barclay's work really goes hand in hand with James C. Scott's work. James C. Scott, you know, I talked. He he he's got books like Thinking Like a State and The Art of Not Being Governed. And if you really want to know what top scholars in their field are thinking about um, uh, anarchy and governments, uh, people living without the burden of government, these are two really good uh, authors to check out. So now. Um, oh, I should warn you, though, you know, uh, I, I'm reading now this book um, called The Politics of Heroin by Alfred McCoy. 
And I read this book about 25 years ago, and I and I have been separated from it, and I just got my hands on it again uh, just the other day. It's about there's in this book there's about 500 pages of actual of the actual book, and then a, a, about 200 more pages of the references that he uses for that 500 pages. It's that means it's really dense, it's really small type, and it's really thick and. Uh, yeah, but um, but I, but I'm refreshing myself on this because this is all about the CIA's involvement in uh, in heroin and in the drug trade, and so we'll be getting into more of that in the future as I refresh my mind about this stuff that I that has been 25 years since I read. And now, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the moment you've been waiting for, Adam Kokesh. What is he thinking about? Um, you know. It's it. There's there's. I, I realize that Adam is uh, is doing a lot of great work over there, and I and I'm not trying to put Adam down. I'm not trying to steal any of Adam's listeners or anything like that. Um, I'm, I'm not attacking Adam personally, or at least I don't intend to do that. But we have to we have to measure our battles, and we have to think through what it is that we want, how we're going to accomplish it. And what the reproduction, repercussions of each act is going to be uh, when we take these actions. Um, Adam has proposed a, uh, a an armed march on Washington D.C. on July fourth of two thousand thirteen. What he has essentially uh, proposed is he says, uh, you know, if he could get like a thousand people that he really knew would show up for sure, not just not just promise, but actually a thousand that will show up. And he says he wants them to meet at uh, Arlington National Cemetery, and um, then all at once, at the same time, everybody marches across the memorial bridge that, that leads from the Arlington uh, Cemetery right across to where uh, Washington Monument is. It just goes right across the Potomac. And his idea was, Everybody meets there at Arlington, and they march across the bridge at the same time, and they go march around the Capitol, and they march around the the White House, and they march around the, the uh, Treasury Building, and then they come back to Arlington and break everything back up. And a lot of people are signing on to this, and um, it's getting a lot of attention. Uh, just today, now this has been, I don't know, three or four days since he made this announcement. I think he made the announcement last Friday. Uh, but there's... A big Facebook discussion going on on it. Um, it's on Salon. American Thinker has picked up the story. Think Progress has picked up the story. Before It's News has picked up the story. And The Truth About Guns, uh, which is a pro-gun site, uh, they went so far as to use the obvious title for their article, What Could Possibly Go Wrong? And, yeah, that's that's the obvious question. Yeah, a thousand. let's just assume this could happen. A thousand... Um, a thousand gun owners show up with loaded rifles strapped on their backs at Arlington National Cemetery with the intent of marching across the Memorial Bridge. Uh, what could go wrong? Wow, boy, I only have an hour show, so I can't go into that, right? I mean, what could go wrong? Well, um, the obvious thing, the very obvious thing, is a, uh, uh, the FBI plants someone who, you know, shoots a gun. And, and that's all it takes. And we have Boston Massacre. We have Kent State. We have, you know, uh, any number, uh, the, the market, the Chicago market bombings. We have any number of situations where a provocure has come in and, and uh, de- almost destroyed a movement. Uh, wh- why would we think this is a good idea? But, and that's pretty much what everybody has said so far that I've read. It's like, uh, you know, uh, all it takes is one nut. All it takes is a firecracker. All it takes is a nervous cop. All it takes is, you know, uh, any of these things could make this turn into a really bad situation. And that's all true. Um, but I, but there's an angle that I haven't heard anybody else mention. And it was the very first thing that struck me when I heard this. So but before I get into that, I want to I, I talk about some of the other aspects of this that are a problem. Now, I'm going to play for you some outtakes of, um, you know, because this is, it's kind of spreading like wildfire, 
And a lot of gun owners are are interested in this, and a lot of liberty oriented people are listed are, are are interested in this, and a lot of really good people with good intentions have their eyes open and they're saying, "Hey, what about this idea?" Well, you know, um, one of the problems with this, and like I said, I'm going to play you a little clip from a YouTube video where Christopher Cantwell kind of uh, well, he I'll let him speak for himself, but yeah. Uh, I'll go ahead and play the clip now from Christopher Cantwell, and you can uh, think about it for yourself here. Well, if I could get a half a million people to load rifles and follow me to Washington, it wouldn't be a peaceful demonstration. I'd open fire and solve this problem once and for all. Oh, murderer. Right. That'll help. Uh, Doe Revolt Renshaw writes, I see the first drone strike on U.S. soil for this one. Well, then I guess it's a good thing we're armed so we can shoot back. Elizabeth Edwards writes, the USA is lost. Don't waste your effort. Get thyself to New Hampshire where you can actually make a difference for yourself and future generations. And she posts a link to the Free State Project. And while I agree that moving to New Hampshire is a great idea, I must ask, move to New Hampshire and do what exactly? Geography is not going to solve the problem. Federal gun control laws affect New Hampshire too, you know. Don't believe me? There's no law against fully automatic weapons in New Hampshire. But try to buy one. Short of secession, New Hampshire is only as free as federal law permits it to be, and if you think an open carry march in D.C. is a radical statement, try seceding from the Union. Some folks tried that once, and there was a civil war. Straw man. Nick DeFonte writes, Thought about this? Bad idea. I will not be a part of this, and ask Adam not to put other people's lives in jeopardy. Being a soldier means... I'm sorry, being a leader means exhausting all other measures and trying to de-escalate things peacefully. I highly suggest to call this off. Well, we're absolutely trying peaceful means. It was actually stated as such in the description of the event. If the government resorts to violence, that's on them. Us walking with weapons is peaceful. If they open fire on us, then that means that we have exhausted all peaceful means. If they decide to murder a thousand peaceful protesters and turn Capitol Hill into Tiananmen square, then the gloves are off, folks, and we can stop pretending that these sociopaths ever intended to peacefully resolve our differences. Jesse Booker writes, they will slaughter you in the street. You won't be given an opportunity to turn around or peacefully submit to arrest. They will open fire on you immediately. The masses will... False dichotomy, hyperbole. ...will applaud the overwhelming brutality of your public execution. And to these and other people who implied that this could be dangerous, yes, it's dangerous. This is very dangerous, and if you don't want to come, I totally understand that, and I don't judge you. This event is dangerous, and that's the whole point. These criminals use threats of force to terrorize us every single minute of every single day and strip us of everything we have right down to our dignity. I think it's time for them to be scared. Let them tremble in fear as a thousand armed men march towards their doorstep and say, no, I will not comply. How exactly did you think you would regain your liberty back from the tyrants? You would kneel and beg? You would send false dichotomies. And your money to the right one? You would touch a name on a diebold computer? Will you wait for the next war, for the next oppressive law, for the next economic catastrophe? Will you wait until they are at your door and you are reduced to hiding under your bed, knowing that your capture is imminent, heart racing, sweating, ready to yourself, wondering if you'll make it out alive? Hyperbole. That's enough of that. Okay, so, um, you know, in addition to, if you listen to the whole uh, Christopher Cantwell YouTube video, which I really wouldn't recommend, but if you did, um, you're going to hear him throw out a bunch of straw man arguments. There's a there's going to be a bunch of internet bravado, you know, internet tough guy, and uh, an abundance of vulgarity, uh, but not a lot of brains. And um, and within all that, you know, typically, I've I've done this before with people when they start throwing levels and levels of vulgarities at me. Uh, to try to convince me of something, I generally mock them by saying, you've certainly convinced me with your vulgarities. Uh, I've completely set aside my brain and stopped thinking because you must be 
totally correct. Otherwise, you wouldn't be you wouldn't have resorted to using that kind of language. You know, if you've really got a good point, I mean, I'm if somebody wants to use vulgarities in their typical language, that's fine. I don't care. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. It doesn't affect me in the least. But um, but you're not going to convince me of anything with your abundance of vulgarities because there's not that's not an argument. That's not even a discussion. It's just you making a complete moron out of yourself. So, I mean, that's, you know, it, it doesn't do anything to convince me of anything. But now, when you hear him talking about shooting down drones, um, like he did in that clip, when you hear him talking about that, then we have to realize that we're talking about someone who is a fool, someone who is entirely uneducated on the topic, and who might actually be considered an idiot. Uh, you see, drones, I don't know how he imagines this to be, but we have basically two kinds of drones we need to think about. Observational drones, which is what they're pushing on us in the United States right now, uh, which can't fire anything on anybody, and the predator-type drones that they use overseas, uh, which fire Hellfire missiles. Now, uh, if we're talking about observation drones being used at a march like this, then I'm sure they probably will if they have them. That's the kind of thing that the government likes to do. But if you're talking about, as this, as this, you know, as he quotes this person who's talking about, of, of this being the first actual predator drone strike on American soil, if that's really what you're talking about, then to imagine that you having a gun is going to change the the, uh, the the outcome here is either a complete fantasy or an ignorant display of your lack of knowledge about the real world. Let me just tell you a couple things about a drone. A drone is not hanging around up there in the air for you to see. It's, it's not that big in size compared to like a commercial airplane or even a private airplane, but, it, but it's big enough that it's flying at an elevation that if you look up in the sky and if you could actually pick it out in the sky, it'd be the size of a gnat. The odds are you'd look right at it and not be able to focus on it because uh, there's, a, there's a problem in trying to focus on something that's that kind of a distance if, you don't, if you're not already looking at it. The next thing is, so, so you're not going to, and it's too far up to, for you to even hear. You don't hear it. You can't see it. It's floating. A, a predator drone is, is flying around up there where you can't see it and you can't hear it. Then they fire Hellfire missiles. Hellfire missiles travel at almost 1,000 miles an hour. They literally get to you before the sound gets to you. So if, the, so if a predator fires a Hellfire missile, at someone, doesn't matter if they're in Washington, D.C., or if they're in Pakistan. You don't know the predators up there because you can't see them and you can't hear them. And the Hellfire missile is coming at you at one and a half times the speed of sound. I think it's like 1.3, 1.3 Mach, um, 1.3 times the speed of sound. So it's going to get to you a good time prior to where the sound of it coming at you gets there. In other words, you're going to be blown into tiny little chunks before the sound of it even gets there. Just grasp that in your mind for a minute. Whether you have a rifle or not won't matter. Um, people in Pakistan who die from drones have rifles. doesn't help them one bit. This idea that you can shoot down a drone is stupid. It is stupid. We need to abandon that kind of thinking. Now, just so that it doesn't sound like all I'm doing is criticizing here and picking on this fool Cantwell for his uh, blatherings. Um, before I, it, well, well, let me just point this out too. Uh, you know, Adam, Adam Kokesh is on a completely different level than Christopher Cantwell. I mean, we're talking about two different levels of sanity here. We're talking about two completely different um, uh, listenerships and audiences and purposes in what they're doing. So I'm not trying to lump Adam in with Christopher Cantell. But what I'm trying to say is, Adam, when you throw something out like this, um, you get the Christopher Cantells. And, and, uh, and I'm going to go into that a little bit more when I come back from the break. And I'm also going to offer maybe a little bit more sane solution and maybe a path that, uh, that doesn't involve, you know, um, nonsense. Okay, stick with me. I'll be right back. Thank you. 
According to a recent survey of Bitcoin users, the most common use of Bitcoins was as donations. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Murphy with FreeAid, the world's first Bitcoin-based charity. Join me as I moderate a panel discussion about Bitcoin and nonprofit organizations at the Bitcoin 2013 conference. On the panel will be Angela Keaton from Antiwar.com, Carla Garrick from the Free State Project, and Teresa Warmke, my partner at FreeAid. Bitcoin Not Bombs is launching us into financial freedom this May at the Bitcoin 2013 conference. To learn more, visit BitcoinNotBombs.com. Okay, thanks for sticking with me through the commercial. So, my 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 warning to Adam is when you you know once you let this monkey out of the out of the bag and it starts running all over the place, it attracts people like Christopher Christopher Cantwell and others, people far worse than him. Think about um, and 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 not only for Adam, peaceful friends of Adam Kokesh, peaceful listeners of Adam Kokesh peaceful members of the liberty movement think about this just for a second think about what nuts like cantwell actually want you think about the how he was begging for martyrdom in this in this whole process you think about his desire to go out in a blaze of glory like that um and and, th- and realize that he's on the saner end of of what some of these people are like. There's people out there far worse than uh, uh, than Cart than Cartwell. Did I call him Cantwell? I think I called him Cant. Yeah, Cantwell. Cartwell. Cantwell. Cartwell. Hmm. Anyway, remember remember for example, uh, yeah, this was several years ago, like uh, maybe two thousand. I'm thinking two thousand nine. Maybe 2010, but I'm thinking 2009, when uh, John Bush down there in Austin was going to have a peaceful Second Amendment rally at the police station in Austin, and there was a series of events that had led up to this. And so John Bush and his and his liberty-oriented folks that that were in the organization with him, they got a permit, they got you know a microphone set up, they had a nice organization, they had a good amount of people that showed up for it, and they were having a a very successful, peaceful Second Amendment rally on the police steps in Austin. And then Alex Jones and a gang of thugs show up with a bullhorn and start overwhelming everything that John Bush and his group is saying by yelling into this bullhorn and yelling at cars that are passing. You know, Alex Jones, there's cars passing by in the street, and Alex Jones is yelling at these cars, we're not going to let our guns go. And he's just making a complete fool out of himself like he did on CNN not long ago. And it completely disrupted this um, this otherwise sane gathering of liber- liberty-oriented folks who were actually getting something accomplished. And a lot of people looked at that and said, you know, they said Alex Jones is nuts. Well, maybe he is, maybe he's not. Um, I'm thinking it was more of a publicity stunt because, as I've said before, Alex Jones is a is a master of showmanship, and um, and I'm not sure, but what Al- what um, Adam Kokesh is uh, is quite the showman as well, but um, but either way, think about how John Bush's organization, all everything that all the effort that they had put into having this rally and having a peaceful demonstration and getting their point across in a in a sensible fashion, and how the whole thing was disrupted by Alex Jones coming in with a bullhorn. Um, now, and, and think about also, you know, just back last January. When um, when the uh, ultimate internet tough guy James Yeager uh, started flapping his mouth about shooting people who wants to take his guns, um, now this is James Yeager who makes his living uh, in his his business is based on getting people firearm training. Okay, and all of a sudden, because of him making threats on the internet, he loses his carry permit. He's not even allowed to carry anymore. Now, think of the threat against his company and against his livelihood for this. It took him three months and all kinds of legal legwork, jumping back and forth, filing papers, everything. You can imagine what it takes for uh, for James Yeager to get the state of Tennessee to give him back uh, his permission slip to carry his pistol, his pistol and to continue his business. Now... Um, maybe if James, you know, if he would let one or two of those active brain cells that are still between his ears, if he'd let them bump into each other now and then, he might have realized 
that uh, you know saying something like that over the internet can directly affect his livelihood and his business and possibly stop him forever from ever being able to travel on any kind of you know airlines or anything like that uh, prevent him from ever owning a gun and that's the problem and this is what I'm not seeing addressed with this whole Adam Kokesh plan to march on Washington that's the problem that I haven't seen talked about because here's the thing of it when you show up at the Arlington National Cemetery you are standing on property that is managed by the United States Army. Property that is managed by the United States Army. And on property managed by the United States Army, there's a little something called the ANCP carry or possession of firearms on Army National Cemetery policy. And that's what you're facing. You show up in a car at the parking lot at Arlington, even if you're across the street, read this. Read this. Um, uh, this policy for yourself. I'll put a link in today's show notes. Even if you're across the street from Arlington National Cemetery, you are still within the jurisdiction of the um, uh, Army National Cemetery policy. So, if you show up across the street in the parking lot, park your car, step out, put a put a put an, a rifle in a sling on your back. Guess what? You get arrested before you ever get to the bridge. As a matter of fact, the first person, somebody has to be the first person in this rally to show up. Now, I already mentioned all the different websites that are already covering this salon, big-time big websites. You think Arlington National Cemetery is not going to know ahead of time that this is going to take place? They're doing, what, like 25, 30 uh, funerals a day at Arlington? Um, so this is a very well-staffed, very well-run organization, as good as any government organization can be. Let's put a disclaimer there. And you're going to show up there. Somebody, again, somebody has to be the first one to show up. And so when they show up, obviously, uh, the, the military is going to be waiting for them. The U.S. Army is not going to sit back and just let this take place. They're not just going to look the other way. So you show up. With a rifle at Arlington, the first person that shows up gets arrested. Second person, there has to be a second person. Second person gets arrested. How many people will be arrested before they ever even have a chance to walk to the bridge? Probably before um, uh, before Adam even shows up, because Adam's going to show up, you know, minutes before to get everything ready and make his big entrance. Well. It's all in all likelihood the thing will already be broken up and everybody will be arrested before that even before he even gets there, because you're already breaking the law just showing up at Arlington with a weapon. It's against the law. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that there's anything good about this kind of oppression. I'm saying they already have you breaking the law when you show up in the parking lot with a weapon in your car, and because it's U.S. Army managed uh, property. They don't need a warrant. They don't need probable cause. They don't need squat. They see you pulling into the parking lot. They can walk out there and search you and search your car. Now, that's just the facts. I don't like it. It's not right. There's nothing about it I like. But they're in charge, and this is how they do it. And you don't have a chance of even getting to the bridge, much less having some kind of confrontation with, with the D.C. police on the bridge You'll never make it out of Virginia. You'll barely make it out of your car. And there won't be any grand, glorious, fiery death from above, and there won't be lines of cops all lined up and lines of protesters all lined up and some kind of a, you know, a silly uh, 1700s type, um, let, let's charge for the bridge type of a thing. None of that. None of the silly martyrdom uh, imaginations of, of the hard, crazy, right-wing libertarian types. None of that stuff's going to happen. You're going to pull in your car. In your car. There's going to be um, uh, Arlington security right there. They're going to meet you at your car. They're going to ask to see inside. They're going to arrest you on the spot, and they're going to haul you away. And if Ad and and here's the fun part. Now you've got a felony conviction on your record, a felony gun conviction on your record, and now you can't have guns. And if you break that, 
you're going to, well, first off, you're going to be in their system. And, and I'm not talking about, oh, I'll be on a list. No, listen, you will be in the federal system, in the federal uh, penitentiary system. You will be, uh, you will be arrested, you will be convicted, and you will be thrown in jail. If you, if you have done this, and then you turn around and try to possess a gun, you're going to go to jail. You're going to go to prison for this. Now, if you're comfortable with that, if that's your plan, if that's what you want to accomplish, if you want to martyr yourself in the sense of, yes, I want to spend the next three or four years of my life in prison, or I want to spend six months in prison and the next five years of my life on on uh, probation and never be able to own a gun legally again, if that's your goal, then go for it. As a matter of fact, why wait for the 4th of July? Go on down there. Go on down now. Let's just get this done. If you feel froggy, jump. See, but there's no there's no logical reason in having gun owners go down there and get themselves arrested and get themselves put into a situation where they're no longer legally allowed to have guns. Why would that be a good idea? How in any way could that be a good idea? Because it's not going to be like um like the crazy ideas of you know, storming towards the bridge and there's a line of cops there and there's a line of riflemen and, and then someone kneels and then we all fire at each other. That's all stupid Hollywood imagination nonsense. They're going to arrest you when you get in the parking lot and that'll be the end of it. But it's not going to happen anyway because I can't believe, I really can't imagine in my mind that Adam would be dumb enough to attempt to pull this off. So what's this all about? It's a publicity stunt, folks. That's all it is. Adam wants another 100,000 hits on his website, on his YouTube site, and this is a good way to do it because if you've got Salon and you've got all these other websites talking about you, then you're going to get more hits. You're going to get more hits on your on your YouTube videos and so on and so forth. Now, I don't want to be accused of saying what's wrong and not providing the answer to what's right. We have two things to face here. How do you fight a government? You have a tyrannical government. You have a tyrant, uh, either a tyrant in an individual like Obama or Bush or whoever. You have, or you have a tyrannical government, which is, you know, you think of all the layers of tyranny within the United States. You look at what happened in Boston, and tyranny is on every level. Um, as you look at what the guys at, at Cop Block are doing. You see tyranny on the smallest local level. So you've got a tyrannical government. What are you going to do with it? Well, here's the problem. You need to not ask yourself how to fight a government. You need to ask yourself, how do you fight the state? And my regular listeners know the direction I'm about to take this because I talk about this a lot. But you have to get out of your mind that the government is your enemy. The government is not your enemy. Belief in the state is your enemy. The concept that the state is legitimate, that's your enemy. The myth that the state is real, that's your enemy. The religion that the state is good, that's your enemy. That's who you have to address. Don't, don't try to fight government. That's, you know, Thoreau's uh, striking at the branches. That's what you're doing. When you try to fight government, that's what you're doing. You're swinging at the branches. You're out there in the weeds. You have to look for the root. And the root is belief in the state. So I want to throw a couple things at you, some thoughts. In any kind of a situation where you're going to be facing an enemy, uh, an opponent, let's say, you're going to be facing an opponent. You need, if you if you actually intend to win, if it's your goal to win, then you need to know your enemy and you need to know yourself. And if you think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. This is, this is all basic stuff from the art of war. Okay, so in the very, the very basic notion is you have to know your enemy and know yourself. Know the strengths of your enemy. Know the weaknesses of your enemy. Know your own strengths and your own weaknesses. Recognize your weakness. Recognize uh, for, for an individual to recognize and, and come to grips with their own weaknesses is very oftentimes the most difficult, person, uh, difficult, difficult thing a person will ever face. But knowing your weaknesses makes you stronger. And knowing your enemy's strengths and knowing how to... Uh, how to attack your enemy, how to provoke your enemy, how to avoid your enemy, where 
to bring about a confrontation, how to bring about a confrontation, how to avoid a confrontation. This is how war becomes an art. And that is really what we're talking about here. We're talking about bringing the war to the concept of the state, not fighting the government. Because if you fight the government, you know, they're going to kill you. Um, you, you. Look at any number of examples. You can't fight the government and win. But you can, we can win this. You just can't win it by swinging at the government. The supreme art of war is to subdue your enemy without fighting. Again, this is a basic stuff from the art of war. Appear weak when you're strong and appear strong where you're weak. All warfare is based on deception. When you're able to attack, appear that you're unable to attack. When you're active, seem like you're inactive. When you're close, when you're near, when you're up close to your enemy, make your enemy believe that you're far away. And when you're far away, Worry him. Make him think you're up close. Make him think you're very near, even when you're not. Every battle, every battle is won or lost in the mind before it's ever fought in the field. A victorious warrior wins first, and then he goes to war. While defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. Every battle is won or lost before it's engaged. How do we fight back against an overpowering, tyrannical government? Well, if you want revolution, if you follow the path of guys like Jaeger and Cartwell and, and Kokesh, what Kokesh is offering to us here, I don't think Adam's actually going to go through with it. But if you take that path, that, that, that marine mentality of just charging the beach, if you take that path... If you provoke a fight, if you decide you're going to sacrifice a few martyrs, if that's the path that you want to take, then that's what you have to do. You have to provoke the government to attack you. You have to expect to lose, and, and I'm talking about death. I'm talking about people in prison for life. That's what, that's what you have to be comfortable in the kind of losses like that of taking. Um, you either have to convince the military to join you. You think of uh, what happened in Egypt or think about when the Soviet Union fell. These revolutions took place um, in the way they did because the revolutionaries were able to convince the military onto their side right from the beginning. Without that, if you can't do that, um, then you're going to have a long, bloody guerrilla war, like in the Philippines, or like uh, you know, dozens of other examples. Uh, and you don't, and you don't want that. Um, a long, drawn out uh, guerrilla war, like in the Philippines, where you have to bait the government to commit atrocities on the civilian population. Then you slowly win over the civilian population to your side. This is a long, bloody painful process with lots of death, lots of suffering. Is that really what you want? Is that really what you think will fix government? You know, there really are better ways to do this. Again, even if you do all these things, even if you're capable of getting the military on your side and having a relatively bloodless uh, revolution, or even if you fight a long, extended, bloody guerrilla war, and you win, even if you do these things, what do you have when you're done? What is it that's, what's there? Well, um, you, you do all this fighting against a tyrannical government, and history shows over and over and over that when you're done with all the martyrdom, all the sacrifice, all the dead people, all the suffering, all the maiming, all the destruction of wealth, you're stuck with a tyrannical government worse than the one you kicked out. It's a pattern that's repeated over and over and over and over in history. And, and the exception to it, I've never found one. I've never found an example where a revolution, a true revolution took place. And at the end of the process, the new government swept in and was actually uh, not a tyrannical government. Now, there are degrees of, of these, and you might consider the, the more recent. I was talking about the revolution in the Philippines in the late 1800s. The revolution in the Philippines in the uh, uh, just recently, 20, 30 years ago or something like that, um, might be 
possibly somewhat considered an exception, uh, but you still have a tyrannical government. In some ways, it was worse than the, the Marcos government. In other ways, it's better than the Marcos government. But you're still trading one tyrant for another. Is that really uh, what you want to do? Is that Do you really want to go down there to Washington and provoke the beginning of an actual civil war, an actual revolution? Do you really want that? Are you willing to pay the price for it? Are you willing to watch children killed, your own families? Do you want to see that? And in the end, what will it produce? Almost guaranteed a worse tyranny than what you've got now. Because you haven't dealt with the root of the problem. You've only dealt with the government. You haven't dealt with the myth of the state. So how do you fight back against an overpowering, tyrannical government? A government that can take out whole countries, a government that can take on the third or fourth largest military in the world and crush them. How do you deal with a, with a tyrant of that size, of that scope? It's really very simple. You refuse to engage the tool of your enemy. Refuse to engage the tool of your enemy. Government is not your enemy. Belief in the state is our enemy. The myth of the state, that's our enemy. This is a battle of the mind. It's a battle of principles. We can defeat the state by fighting on the battleground that the state doesn't understand with the weapons that the state has no resistance against. The market. Peaceful exchange. Private voluntary associations. I might also add private voluntary associations for, um, for a variety of processes. Voluntary networks. Why and what? Are, voluntary networks of all kinds. Trucking networks. Being the, we need among us the ability to move items from New Hampshire to Texas without the government knowing about it. Not just uh, not just electronic communications. Actual things. We need to be able to supply material from Texas. To New Hampshire and from New Hampshire into Canada and from Canada into Wyoming and from Wyoming into, into Colorado. We need to be able to do this privately, voluntarily, securely. We need voluntary networks. We need alternative communications. More than just email. We need more than just um, you know, private cell phones. We need alternative communications. And, and I'm not telling you the answer to each one of these things. I'm telling you that these are the things that will develop as a market need and the market will provide them. And these are the tools that are going to crush the state, that are going to render the state incapable of doing the things that it wants to do. We need alternative currencies, bitcoins, but everything else. Every type of alternative currency, any kind of alternative currency that we can use, that will be an that will that will be untaxable, un, untraceable, and that the government uh, governments of the world cannot see and cannot regulate and cannot touch. This is the thing they fear. They don't fear a thousand guys showing up with rifles at Arlington National Cemetery. They can deal with that. That's an afternoon job. That's going to take more paperwork than manpower. That's not a big deal, but they fear Bitcoins. They absolutely tremble at the thought of Bitcoins. We need underground businesses, serious, real underground businesses. Not just, I'm not talking about drug dealers. I'm not talking about illegal arms manufacturing and, and distribution, although yes, we do. And this new 3D printer is one aspect, but like it's been pointed out, you know, I can go in my garage and in a few hours, I can have a very functional gun. It's not that difficult. It's not a big deal. The Second Amendment is not the key to your freedom. It's a stinking piece of paper. It means nothing. The government will trample it. You think they won't come door to door? Look at what happened in Boston. That's one excuse. Wait till they get another one. You have to have other ways of doing this. Don't fight the, your enemy right where he expects you to fight. We need profits. We need businesses that are profitable. 
We need underground businesses that are profitable. We need lunch trucks driving around, making money hand over fist with no license. That's what we need. You need it. I need it. We need businesses right out in public view that look in every way like they're legitimate, but they're doing everything underground. Or the legitimate business is there doing its obvious business and under, and, and under the watchful eye of everybody who sees it, an entire secondary business is taking place. That's what we need, and we need it everywhere. We need it in every city. We need it in the countryside. It, we need it in neighborhoods. We need businesses being run out of garages that supply things that other people are having to buy from China. We need people in their kitchens baking stuff and cooking stuff and selling it like a legitimate business. You know, there's um, there's a place in Cincinnati when I worked at the um, at the aircraft uh, engine factory in Evendale. Um, one of the when we when we were working a weekend. And uh, oftentimes, uh, as a treat, we would send one of the one of the folks on our crew down to this um, this house, and it was in a very rough inner city type neighborhood of Cincinnati. And the name of the place was called Country Preacher, and it was just a family that ran a um, a soul food restaurant right out of their kitchen of their house. And so you pull up in front of their house. And, you know, the neighbors could have easily thought it was like a drug deal or something going on because cars regularly would pull up in front of their house, go in, come out five minutes later with, you know, a bag of something and leave. And every day they did a bustling business. Well, I shouldn't say every day. They didn't do this every day. They only ran it on the weekends. It was a nice little underground thing. And they had a nice bustling business there. And it was all word of mouth. And it was all, uh, you know, it was agorism. It was the real deal. And these people were not doing it for political purposes. They did it because it made them money. It made their lives better. We can make profits like that from underground businesses. Vast, untaxed profits lay in wait for us. And that's when we're beating the state where it matters in the marketplace. Alternative documentation. What about that? I know of at least one person in the liberty movement right now who is offering alternative uh, documentation, specifically um, things like press passes. Do you, do you have a press pass? I, I hope to get one soon. I want one. Um, but not just press passes. Imagine for yourself. Now, I mentioned a uh, uh, voluntary networks and um, peaceful exchange. Imagine for yourself um, what if you had altern- alternate documentation on something other than just yourself? What if, um, you know, we have these uh, sovereign citizen people who, you know, they get a piece of cardboard and some magic markers and they make up their own license plate and they put that on their car and they drive around with it. And it's kind of like putting a big pot leaf on the back of your window of your car um, or, or, you know, a, a big pot leaf on the back window of your car and then a bumper sticker that says, bad cop, no donut for you. I mean, you're just asking for it, right? Well, the same thing with a paper license plate made with a magic marker. You're just telling a cop, hey, look, I'm a sovereign citizen. Shoot me. All right, so let's think better than that. Let's let's not be stupid in the things that we do, and let's think better than that. What if there was a way that you could have alternate documentation on a vehicle, complete alternate documentation on a vehicle, a complete underground in vehicles and vehicle documentation, Real stuff, metal license plates, shiny little, those three-dimensional looking stickers that they stick on them that authorize them from year to year. What if all that stuff were manufactured underground? How would, how would, the, how would the layers and layers and layers of bureaucracy respond to that? And how would that cost vast more sums of money for the government to try to keep up with? You know, and that's where it's at. That's really where it's at. You spin this government into the ground. You drive it into the ground and you provide, in the marketplace, you provide uh, an alternative. You provide liberty as the alternative to tyranny. And all the time, you, you, you dig underneath the state so that it crumbles and falls down upon itself. Don't follow the failed footsteps of martyrdom. If you want to commit civil disobedience, make it count. You think about it. 
Um, what will it? What will happen if a thousand gun owners are arrested and no longer have the uh, legal ability to own guns? Now compare that to a thousand perfectly forged license plates on the market at a quarter of the price of a license plate. What? what which one do you think would make uh, a bigger impact against fighting tyranny? Don't fight the government. Sidestep the government. Make an alternative to government. Beat the state by creating a market demand for liberty and provide all the alternatives that are available to do it. We've got to take this seriously. I mean, we've got to really take this seriously. No silly internet bravado. No stunts. Fight this thing like it's your mission. Fight this thing like the fate of humanity depends on it. Because the fate of humanity does depend on it. Folks, thanks for listening today, and remember to visit badquaker.com, where liberty is our mission. Thanks, folks.